Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke and will be the account of the Good Samaritan. You may be seated. Begin this morning with a word of prayer. Most merciful God, we give you thanks this day that you have granted us grace to be in your presence where we might hear your word and receive the gifts you have for us with joy. Lord, we know that you call us to be a people of compassion, and yet, Lord, we are also a people who need your compassion. And so have that compassion upon us today. Help us to hear your word in faith and to live our lives in accordance with it. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we kind of know how this one's going to go today, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about, and we hear this language of being a Good Samaritan all the time in our culture. So we see somebody help a little old lady cross the street, or we watch television. If you watch sports, you'll see them. They'll have these sort of news pieces where the athletes have gone to the hospital to help the kids who are in need, and we look at that, and we feel good, and we say, yes, there are some Good Samaritans. Good Samaritans, those people who help the less fortunate, who use their time, who use their energy, who use their money to help those who are worse off than they are. And here today we have the archetype fable, right? The archetype parable that Jesus gives us showing us how you too should be a good Samaritan, just like the Samaritan in our parable today. And on first glance as we read this parable, it almost sounds like Jesus is saying this, if you are a good enough Samaritan, you can even enter into the kingdom of God. You want to inherit eternal life? Just be a good Samaritan. Here we have a parable that prescribes for us everything we must do to enter eternal life. Right? Not so fast. To be sure, as we think about this parable today, I don't want you to misunderstand me. We should all be a little bit kinder, right? We should all be helping people who are in need. We should all be giving of our energy and our time and our resources to care for everybody God gives us, especially those who are uh, less fortunate than we are. But if we leave this parable from Jesus Christ today hearing only a story of what we must do to be nicer to poor people, we're probably missing the point. Further, if you leave this parable today and all you hear is Jesus giving you a list of things you must do in order to inherit eternal life, you're in fact hearing the opposite teaching of what Jesus has for us today. So what really is going on in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, in order to get at this, we must do what we always must do when we read the Bible. We must read the parable in context. We need to understand why is it that Jesus is teaching this parable today? Well, the account goes like this. One day Jesus was with his disciples and a lawyer came up to Jesus with a question. It, Pastor Matt said it almost sounds like a joke as it starts. A lawyer walked up to Jesus with a question. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, this lawyer walks up and he has this question for Jesus. This is what he says. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is the driving question of the parable. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as we read the text closely, we find out this wasn't really a sincere inquiry. The guy is trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus has a nose for these sorts of things, you see. And so he's not going to give in. 
Jesus does what he always does. He turns the tables and he asks the question back. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, before we move on from this point, we're doing a little bit of Bible study here. We need to understand what Jesus means by the word the law right there. When Jesus says, what do you read in the law? He's not referring to all the rules in the Old Testament. He's referring back to what we would probably call uh, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We also call these books the Torah, sometimes translated as the law. And Jesus is saying to the man today, what did Moses teach you? What does the Torah say? Now, notice the man's answer. He comes back with only commandments. He gives a perfect summary, we might say, of the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the first thing you need to notice here today. When Jesus asks the man, what does the law say, what does the Torah say, the man only refers back to the rules and the instructions. And those are there. It's important to know the rules and the instructions as listed for us in, in the Old Testament. However, we, meet, we must understand this, that those first five books of the Old Testament, they're not just rule books. And in fact, more than that, what they actually are is an account of what God is doing to save sinful humanity. It's a record of how God chose a particular nation to work through them to bring his son into the world and work salvation for everyone. It's actually an account of God's saving work for sinful people. And yes, there are instructions in there that teach us how to live. But the primary thing we need to see there is God's saving work for his people. So that if the man's answer means something like this, well, uh, in the law, uh, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor completely because God has rescued us and saved us, and that's a fine answer. It's a good enough answer. However, that's not what the man is after. This man is trying to both trap Jesus and to justify himself, to prove how righteous he is. He, he's noticed that uh, when Jesus has been teaching, he's been awfully kind to the wrong kinds of people. And, Jesus is, and, and the man is trying to expose Jesus' love you know, uh, for sinners, as it turns out. And so he's trying to prove that he's more righteous than Jesus. And so he says to Jesus, the text says, Seeking to justify himself, he says, Who is my neighbor? Who is it, according to the law, that I should love? in order to inherit eternal life. Give me the list of people I should be caring for in order that I might inherit eternal life. So that's the background. These are the driving questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And who's the neighbor I need to love to do it? What is the checklist, Jesus? And we need to know this background. We need to hear this because this idea of a checklist religion, this idea of that we must do something to impress God, we must do something to prove our righteousness to God, we must do some list of things in order to inherit eternal life, this has not gone away. In fact, I know it hasn't gone away. And even, even in a church like ours where we try and, and preach nothing but salvation by the grace of Jesus Christ alone, even still inside of us, there's this legal, little legalist who's always trying to justify himself or herself uh, by their works. Think about it. Every time you see something that you feel like you should have done, you see a hungry person on the side of the road, or you see somebody in need of, of help, somebody who needs you to care for them, uh, you see somebody suffering, and you don't help 
What's the first thing you do to show that you're still okay? You pull out a little list of all the holy things you've done this week. And you say, well, I may have not helped them, but I did go to church. I did say my prayers. I did read my Bible. I even went to Bible study. I may have not helped them, but I did work hard for my boss this week. And instead of recognizing that you're not loving the people God's placed right in front of you, what you start to do is list all the good things you have done so that you might justify yourself uh, both to your own heart and hopefully God's paying attention too. But all that list does for us when we do this is it exposes the fact that we're trying to justify ourselves by the law of God. We're trying to justify the fact that we're not loving the way we should. Thus our list ends up condemning us. When we act this way, we're very much like a priest or a Levite or a pastor who has just finished doing the holy work of Sunday morning and is now on his way home. So a priest and a Levite, they're leaving Jerusalem after having done all the holy work in the temple, having done their job, they're tired, they've done all of God's work, and now they're going home to spend some time with their family. And on their way there, they see a man suffering and dying on the side of the road. They ignore him. They pass by, go to the other side, so they might not even be in the vicinity of nearly touching him. And perhaps later on, when cornered and questioned, why they did not help the man, they might say something like this. Well, let me pull out my list. I just did all my Sunday morning work. I did all my temple work. I've said my prayers. I've talked to God. I was even nice to people at church today. I talked to the person no one else talked to. Think about that. Look at all these nice things I did today. Further, if we look at the law of God, we might find that that person, by touching them, might make me unclean. I'd get their blood all over me. The priest and the Levite would say, if I get their blood on me, I would be ritually unpure. If I touch them, what if they're one of the untouchables? What if there's somebody, you know, who might make me look bad to the rest of the church? They might make me unclean. What if they're from a different religion? What if they're one of those rainbow-touting people? Maybe I shouldn't have touched them at all. And now I'm going to pull out God's rules of instructions of what sinners look like and recognize that by not touching him, I'm not associating with a sinner, and I'm doing pretty good for myself. Maybe it was God's will for me not to help that person who was suffering. So they pull out the checkbook, using God's own laws to justify their sins. And in this way, their list condemns them. In this way, when you pull out your checklist to prove why, how holy and righteous you are, your list condemns you. Mine does too. See, this is no parable about how to become morally better. Rather, it is a parable that is exposing your checklist morality as your greatest sin, your checklist religion as your greatest sin. Now, the old legalist inside of us hears this, and he's not ready quite to let go yet. And he says, but doesn't Jesus say this? Doesn't Jesus say we must do like the Samaritan? Shouldn't we have a list of Samaritan works we should do? Well, let's look at the Samaritan. Let's examine how the Samaritan actually helps out today. But before we do that, we should say a word about Samaritans. You must remember that the Jews hated the Samaritans back in these days. They considered them uh, sort of turncoats from the Old Testament. They're sort of half-breeds. They're people who, by virtue of their heritage, are considered immoral. Not immoral, probably that's not the right word. Impure to touch them, to be associated with them. 
makes you ritually unclean. So the Samaritans were the bad guys. There's a tremendous amount of, of racism and, and sort of religious animosity between these two peoples. So these, we might say these Samaritans were people in the eyes of the Jews who lived outside of the law. So here comes a man who, apart from the law, sees another man suffering and dying, and notice what he does. You want a checklist? Check this out. When he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. We maybe could summarize the work of the Samaritan this way. He had compassion and gave this man everything he had and everything the man needed for his healing and for his life. Or, or maybe, maybe we could say it this way. He had compassion and sacrificed everything he has so this man might be healed and set free. He gave up it all. He sacrificed everything. For you see, that's how it works in the kingdom of God. This is how things are when Jesus shows up and is reigning. He doesn't give us a checklist religion or a religion, a parable about morals. This is a parable about the sort of work God is up to. It tells us the sort of God we have. That we don't have a God who is a legalist sitting up in heaven watching your works and checking the boxes to make sure you do all the right things. No, you have a God who is the good Samaritan. And he sees you in your sinfulness, lying in a ditch, naked and half dead, clinging to your checklist. And he has compassion. Yes, on a selfish, self-righteous, dying sinner like you and like me. He finds our sin-caused wounds and he washes them with the blood from his own wounds. He lifts you up and carries you to a place where you will be fed and nourished and healed and restored by his promises and by his sacraments. And there you will remain until he returns. And in the meantime, any more debts you incur, incur any more sins you commit, any more things that seem to go wrong, he's going to cover that too. Because you see, in his death and in his life, all of you, completely all of you, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are covered in his blood, and you are declared righteous and promised a place in his kingdom. Because he has taken care of all of it. You cannot justify yourself. It's the Lord Jesus who declares you right. He takes care of you, for you see, that is how our God works. Notice in the parable, as the man leaves uh, the man suffering behind, notice what he doesn't give him, a list of chores to do. For you see, any list that we might make for ourselves, any list, even, even the law of God itself, that might stand against us and oppose us, well, Jesus has gotten rid of that St. Paul says it this way in the reading from in the book of Colossians when he says this, that instead of, according, instead of looking to the list, Jesus forgives us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He sets it aside, nailing it to the cross. But now, 
there is somebody who was paying attention to the reading this morning who still says yes but at the end of this doesn't jesus tell us that we must go and do likewise that we should be like the good samaritan well yeah but think about it here's my guess is that in this parable if we could just expand it a little bit there's not just one man who's been rescued and brought to the hotel there's a whole bunch of people there there's a whole bunch of people outside too still suffering and lying in ditches and there's a lot of people around us who need to have this sort of compassion who need to be loved who need to meet this good samaritan who need to know there's a good samaritan out there who loves them and cares for them and will heal them and restore them and lo and behold jesus christ has placed you right in the midst of those people he's placed them all around you here this morning and he's placed them all around you in your own lives when you leave this He's placed you in their midst so that you might be a neighbor to them. You might show compassion to them just as Jesus Christ has showed compassion to you. And so he says to the man, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? And he said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. You love as you have been loved. You show compassion just as you have freely and graciously received compassion. You don't go to these people and beat them over the head with a list of rules. You don't go to these people to use them as a means to your own righteousness. Just love recklessly. Love those who might make you seem unholy. Love those who might make you look bad in the eyes of the rest of the world. Because after all, that is what Jesus Christ has done for you. That is how Jesus loved you. For when he picked you up out of the ditch, he got your sins all over himself so that he might carry them to the cross and suffer and die for them in your place. And in doing this, the Lord Jesus has brought you to himself and has made you his own. Show compassion, for you have received compassion. You and I today, we are these dearly loved half-dead sinners. Jesus Christ has had compassion on you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that though you find us dead and dying in our sins and trespasses, you give us your Son, Jesus Christ, who forgives us, who heals us, and restores us. Lord, we pray that we might go forth with this message, giving this hope of compassion to the world. Lord, all the while, we pray that you would constantly remind us you have been compassionate to us, and you will continue to do so. Lord, have mercy and guide us according to your unfailing love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please rise as we confess our faith in the words.